We are a people of great need. We are a people who thirst for you. Pour into our hearts your love through the Holy Spirit given to us. Amen. Well, this is a little different, isn't it? We're used to be all being in the same room for our worship. Today, by the fancy workings of modern technology, we're worshiping all together, but in separate places across the miles. This odd experience accentuates, however, some really beautiful truths that we trust all the time by faith. That we are one in the Spirit at all times, wherever we are. That we are the body of Christ all the time. Though we are many, we are all one body because we all share the connection of hope under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. The baptismal mystery and promise, the union that all sacraments and the whole of our pilgrimage and faith points to is in play. And I would add one other little detail. In the 4th century, St. Augustine talked to people with assurance about how if for any physical reason they could not receive the body and blood of Christ, they nonetheless, by their intention were part of that grace conveyed through the sacrament. And so not even being here is one of those impediments to our receiving, but we are nonetheless connected in our baptism and receiving the real grace of communion. So it's comforting to realize our unity, especially in these times, because it hammers home that together we can get through this monumental and global disruption that this virus is bringing upon us. We are uh, voluntarily limiting our usual freedom of movement, our freedom of activity in a resolve to reduce the risk of being exposed to or exposing others to illness. And we can be sure that we will get through this and that we can choose to accentuate the power that is greater than any virus. A friend of mine from my salad days, a priest in Austin, Steve Kinney, wrote poignantly on the topic. He has a great lead up to this point, but I go right to the beginning of his conclusion. May we not allow the coronavirus to make us retreat from doing good together. Rather, let us tap into the supernatural, universal love that gives us the courage to support one another precisely in times of great stress. If the coronavirus is contagious... So is love. Love is the antidote. May it spread across the globe as quickly as the virus. For once we glimpse the universal beauty that is always found in particular acts of courage and love, we are set free 
from the prison of self-interest and empowered to embrace our common humanity. I find that a great comfort. Today, we have as our gospel a tale about that love introduced to the world by Jesus of Nazareth in all kinds of ways, including in his one-on-one encounters with various uh, people around the regions of the Holy Land. Today, we encounter Jesus revealing a holy love and acceptance through his conversation with the woman at the well. We are on a mountain in a Samaritan city called Sychar. For the Samaritans there, a place of practical survival, uh, a source of water, a holy place as well, stemming back from the great patriarchal stories. Before we dip into these waters, though, let me make a general observation about this string of stories in Lent. This is the year when the Sundays in Lent feature rich personal encounters Jesus has with individuals, one-on-one connections that reveal the power of God to transform our lives and to save us. Last Sunday, we heard of Jesus' night uh, conversation with the Pharisee Nicodemus. We heard of how Jesus avails us to birth from the Spirit from above. Next week, we will hear of the involved encounter between Jesus and the man born blind and learn of how he opens our spiritual eyes to see him. So we have this string of three, and there's more on either side of that. A Pharisee, a temple ruler, a blind man, goodness knows what his experience of disconnectedness was, and a Samaritan woman. There is, as we absorb these stories, just no category of of social place that is disqualified from the love of God. Jesus deals with Nicodemus and brings him round to see, as later seems to be apparent, his own connection with him. But let's dive in uh, to this story. It's a long, uh, involved midday conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And we can learn how completely Jesus satisfies our thirst for the Spirit and the living water of God. Now, it's a fascinating uh, interplay between Jesus and the woman at the well. She seems at first to be giving Jesus every reason that he should dismiss her, to avoid her. And she's intrigued somehow that he's not doing so. You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You are a man. I am a woman. And he just 
sidesteps all of that and gets to some amazing spiritual truths that she is available to absorb and to benefit from. He reveals right away that this is not a single, one-way kind of offer. It's not just she who will be giving him water from that well for his physical thirst. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So suddenly it's not so simple as someone saying, I need water, get it for me. It's more like, I have a need, but you have a need that is with you always until you avail yourself to this opportunity. She asks other questions, great questions, but they're always, they're always satisfying the kinds of elements that she's tangled in with respect to limitations and social conventions and human judgment. Comparing this to that. At one point, when Jesus speaks of this water that he can give her, she says, Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Where do you get that living water? She talks about the physical problems. You don't have a rope. You don't have a pail. Where is it coming from? But in fact, he steers her toward the reality, the simplicity of that part of the transaction. That in fact, all she has to do is ask and it will be given to you. At one point, she's even fascinated to ask her favorite religious question because people are all about comparing this to that and disqualifying one thing because we have the better way. Jesus has already convinced her that he seems to be able to see into her, into her situation in life. And when she perceives that he's some kind of prophet, she says, where is the true place of worship, as it were? On this mountain, proximate to Jacob's well, in Jerusalem, at the temple. That's the, your favorite place of indicating the right place for worship. And we could add today, uh, where is the right place to worship. Is it Holy Wisdom Basilica in Thessalonica? Is it St. Peter's Basilica in Rome? Is it the Cathedral at Canterbury? Is it at 345 Piney Point Road? Right here at St. Francis Church? And Jesus, as it were, says, You ask where? I tell you where in spirit and in truth. The, con the time is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit. 
and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we're aware in a deeper way, perhaps, though we've been aware before, that God is with us. And true worship happens where we are and where God is. And that's every place we are and at all times. Now, I don't mean to suggest that you never have to show back up here at, uh, on Piney Point Road. I want you back. It's a lot easier to see all of you here, and we miss seeing you today. Just as soon as we can get back, we'll get back. But the bigger point, the important point, is to understand that God wants communion with us. That we are thirsty. That just as the rock was tapped when Moses enacted that supply of water for survival, just as Paul indicated that God will pour his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit when we ask. So it is true for us every day. And if we are experiencing anxiety, worry, illness, we have to lean upon God who is with us and worship God in spirit and in truth. Despite our physical circumstances, despite even our emotion about the occasion, when we reach out to God, what springs up in us is a spring of living water that flows to eternity. And so let us avail ourselves to that spring. It's like the psalm says, at every moment and at every time, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout to God, the rock of our salvation. Amen.